and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. Good morning. Glad you're all here with us today. Uh, If you want to find your way to a seat, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 8, looking at verses 7 through 13. Before we do that, I want to welcome anyone who's new or visiting with us. Welcome those who are online. If you haven't connected with us yet, there is a connect card in the seat pocket in front of you. You could fill that out when I get a little boring. And uh, when the service is over, you can drop it off at the back table. Or if you're online, there's there's a link in the YouTube comments there where you can fill that out. And we get to know you a little bit and help you connect with the church. Something we would definitely like to do. Uh, I just had the last two weeks off, and uh, I I did two major things. One was I took four boys, my four boys, camping to uh, Stampede Reservoir, and that was about as restful as you might think it would be. and then, uh, and then the, the following week, I did a bathroom renovation. So if I ever invite you on a vacation, consider yourself warned. It's um, not normally what I would do, but those are two things that were very good to do. Um, it's good to be back with you as well as we, as we dig into God's Word here today. Uh, when I have a break from doing this, it does remind me how much of an honor, a privilege it is to be able to share God's Word with a group of people that are interested in hearing what He has to say. Um, and so I, I do pray that as I, as I share this with you, it's not my words that are coming out here, but that his word is alive and active in your life and that you're being transformed by the truth that is within his scriptures. Uh, that, that's truly what I hope takes place for you today and every time that you encounter God through his word. Uh, I've entitled this, uh, this message, What We've Been Waiting For, and this message is for anyone who recognizes their need. Uh, This message is for anyone who realizes that they don't have it all together, Uh, for anyone who knows that there's something wrong in their life, Uh, for anyone who is humble enough to see they don't have it all together. Now, if you don't fit into that, um, life will eventually humble you. I don't necessarily mean that as a joke. If you really think you have it all together, and you've no need of God, um, he will eventually humble you. And so I encourage you to remember these words when that day comes. Because there's a God of love and of grace who is longing to embrace you. There's a God of kindness, a God of truth, who who really wants to give you the power to be changed. Uh, He really wants to give you life. In fact, he's done everything necessary for you to come to life as, as he has uh, designed it for you. Uh, the person that you know that you're called to be, he has the power to transform you into that person. The life that, that you know you're called to live, he has the power to move through you and cause you to live it. And he's going to do that not by your own ability and your own strength, but he's going to do that through his own presence with you. 
And so we're going to read a passage in Hebrews here, but the the author of Hebrews is quoting from Jeremiah chapter 31 mostly. There's two chapters in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, where God moves through a prophet to make a proclamation of the kind of relationship that he's going to bring through a Messiah. We know that Messiah, that Christ, to be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That God became flesh and walked among us. That he lived a perfect life and he gave his sinless life on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be freed from the penalty of that. And then he rose from the dead three days later to prove his deity, to prove that he is the Messiah. And then through his resurrection to give us new life. He then appeared to hundreds of eyewitnesses over the course of 40 days. And here's a part that we often forget. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he has an active ministry in your life today. He intercedes on your behalf, and he cares for you and ministers to you this very day. He is alive, he is real, and he is present. Not only that, he's given his spirit to those who trust in his death, burial, and resurrection to then have your heart and your minds transformed to desire and think the way that God does. These are amazing truths that God has offered us through the new covenant relationship. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me pray with you and we'll read the beginning of these, uh, these verses. Heavenly Father, we do ask, and and more than ask, we're grateful that you're here, you're present, you're active in our lives. Um, What an unbelievable thing it is to understand that you care about us enough, even though we have sinned against you, to send your own son to take away our sin and to give us new life. Father, I know there are people here this morning who have not experienced this transformation yet. They haven't been born again. They haven't uh, put an end to the old way of their, uh, of their self-sufficiency, or so they might think they are. They're, they're, they haven't come to the end of their pride, and maybe today is the day that they do, and they recognize their need and call in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that your Spirit would be moving for that to happen in the lives of those who have not trusted you this morning. God, for the rest of us, may we see our need of you each and every day. It wasn't one time, a long time ago, that I made a decision to trust you and it's all over with. God, I need you today. I need you tomorrow. I I need you every hour. I thank you for the grace that you've given. I pray that that's just so real to people this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, look, I'm at the end of my presentation. Ready to see all the slides in reverse? There's the beginning. So verse 7 of chapter 8, it says, For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second one. But finding fault with his people, and then he quotes Jeremiah 31. Uh, We're going through a portion of this book that's been talking about the ministry of Jesus as the high priest. And it's transitioning from that ministry of him as a high priest into the the relationship that God wants to have with us through what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And so he talks about a, a first covenant and how that first covenant, if it had been faultless, there'd been no occasion for a second one. But he says, but finding fault, and here's where the, the fault comes in, finding fault with his people, he says this. And so we realize that when God made a covenant with the nation of Israel through Moses, he's talking about the Mosaic covenant. There's a bunch of covenants in the Old Testament. There's uh, the one that he made with Noah. There's the one that he made with Abraham. There's the one that he made with David. The one that's being referenced here is talking about the covenant that was made with Moses after God had led the people out of Egypt, the Mosaic covenant where which uh, they received the law, the law of God. 
And so he's saying that if that covenant had been faultless, there'd been no occasion for a second one. But the readers of the Old Testament, they knew that God had promised a new covenant. And then he says the fault with the covenant was not the one that God had made. It wasn't God's law that was faulty. It was our ability as human beings to keep it. And so we recognize that we need help. And so he says, say, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Very quick context there. The, the Jewish people were one nation. They had three great kings. There was Saul, David, and Solomon. After Solomon, the nation split in two. You had the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern of Judah. The northern kingdom uh, falls apostate very quickly. They're, they're worshiping false gods, and God uses the Assyrians to judge them, and they become conquered. Uh, roughly 150 years later, God uses the Babylonians to do the same thing to the southern nation of Judah and of the, the city of Jerusalem. That's when Jeremiah would have been offering this prophecy. And what he's talking about is eventually he will reunite his people under a singular relationship agreement. God's people will be reunited under a new agreement of relationship. And so what we see here, though, is that the law can't bring life. The law does not have the ability to transform your heart. I don't care what set of rules you have, whether they're really, you know, you get 12 really good ones or whatever you come up with. Uh, there is no law that can bring you life. Self, self-effort, what it produces is, is either consciousness or conceit. Uh, self-effort, what it'll do for you, it is it'll make you realize, I sin. You like my chicken scratch? Or it'll make you realize... You look at other people and you'll say, you sin. And this is what people do with the law. They're either conscious of their own sin and they put themselves under God's law and they say, I have sinned. Or they'll take God's law and they'll go, you have sinned. And Jesus responds pretty negatively to one of those groups of people if you look at the New Testament. The people that would use the law to point the finger and say, you're wrong. Jesus has some pretty harsh words for them. He's very gracious towards those who would look at the law and realize they have sinned. But that's what self-effort produces under the law. Either consciousness that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and am in need of help, or will use the law to point the finger at other people and tell them how they've sinned. But neither of those things are transformational. What the law is, is it's diagnostic. Uh, It's like the little tool that you can plug into your car when it won't start. It'll tell you what's wrong, or that's something is wrong, but it won't fix the problem. And so we're in need of a savior. Something new is needed. And so he says, he's going to make this new covenant, not like the one that I made with their ancestors on the day that I took them out of the, or by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. And so he's specifying that the covenant that he's talking about is the Mosaic covenant. He said, I showed no concern for them, says the Lord, because they did not continue in my covenant. So again, specification, he's talking about the Mosaic Covenant. But I read this, and I had a really hard time with this phrase. God had no concern with them, says the Lord, because they did not continue in his covenant. So I wanted to understand, what does it mean God had no concern for them? And so you look up that word, and you'll find it in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. And it says, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So you go, okay, is God neglecting? the people because they didn't keep his covenant. And then, so I did a little bit more work and what this word means in the original language, it means to lose sight of. 
God lost sight of them because they did not continue in his covenant. Now, if, if you had been with us through the book of Ezekiel, this is maybe two years ago now, there's a point in the book of Ezekiel where Ezekiel's ministry is to, to share to the nation what's going wrong, particularly with the religious and political leaders at his time. And what he reveals is the political leaders, rather than trusting in God, were trusting in foreign nations for security. Instead of going to God and being humble before him and seeking his will, they said, maybe we could get some help from Egypt. Maybe we could get some help from Assyria. Maybe we could get some help from these other places rather than looking to God. The religious leaders, they had actually set up religious practices that mirrored the nations around them. The, the, the temple itself had a false deity set up in inside of the temple. And it's at that point when Ezekiel reveals all of this, and then he gives the imagery of God's chariot, his mobile hotspot, moving away from the temple. God's presence actually leaves the people. And it's because they've essentially said they don't want him. And so that's what it's talking about here when it says, I showed no concern with them, says the Lord, because they did not continue in my covenant. God had actually promised them in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus that if they didn't follow in his ways, that there would come a point where he would discipline him. And here's an interesting thing. The greatest form of discipline, of wrath, that God can have in our lives is to leave us alone. And that's what the book of Romans reveals is actually one of the greatest forms of wrath, probably the greatest, is for God to leave us alone, to no longer be within his sight, so to speak. And we get there not because God wants it, but because we make it happen. And so that's what he's talking about here. I, I showed no concern for them. He left them to their own devices because they did not continue in his covenant. And that was the problem with the old covenant was we couldn't keep it. So the Mosaic covenant revealed the iniquity of humanity and our distance from God's heart for us. That's what the law did. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We see that in John 1.17. The old reveals sin, the new reveals salvation. And so when you read your Bible, you just need to recognize when you read the Old Testament and the laws that are there, there's nothing wrong with any of those laws except for the fact that you and I could never live up to them. And that was their job, was to teach us that we couldn't live up to God's demands in our own efforts. We need his grace. We need his kindness. We need his presence. We should never be self-righteous because we couldn't be anyway. Our righteousness is always given to us through Jesus. Our right standing and our, our justification with God is given to us. The transformation that we experience as Christians is not something that we do on our own, but it's something that we do in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. And that's the relationship that we are having offered to us in the new covenant. I wonder if you know it. Do you know God's presence? Do you understand his voice? Have you experienced him transforming your desires, changing your language, changing the way that you approach your wife and your kids, changing the way that you work your job, changing the way that you spend your time and your money? Have you, do you know what it is? I mean, I can tell you who I was in my early 20s. You probably didn't want to hang out with him. But over the course of 20 years, and hopefully for much longer, God will continue to transform me into the image of his son. I'm not 
all the way there, but I'm not who I was. And that's all God's doing in my life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you could say the same. So he says, for this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. These are wonderful, wonderful phrases. See, because in the Old Testament, one of the things that God said in Deuteronomy chapter 6 was that they were to write their laws on their do- write his laws on their doorposts, to put them on their hands, to write them on their forehead. All these things were exterior. And so what God is saying in the new covenant is what was once exterior, trying to make an impression upon you, will now become interior and move out through you. God's going to change our desires. He's going to give us a new heart. He's going to um, change the way that we want. Think about that. He's going to change the things that you want. You're no longer going to want self-gratification. You're no longer going to seek out relationships in which you can take advantage of people because you're self-centered. Your desires are going to be changed so that you can bless instead of take, so that you can be a blessing. Your mind is going to learn to think the way that God thinks. The Holy Spirit's going to give you a new way of thinking. The scriptures are going to impress upon you and within you, far more importantly within you, they're going to change the way that you think. Those who are far off are brought near. And so the power to change rests in God's hands. That's the only place you're going to find the power to change is in his hands. And so, you know, you read books like 12 Rules for Life, and some are good rules. I mean, I can handle what's written there. But the problem is, is none of those rules can actually bring you life as God intends it. And maybe you read a different book with different rules, but none of those rules can bring you life as God intends it. There's one rule to follow if you want life as God intends it. It's, it's just one. Recognize your need and call on his name. That's what he wants from you. He wants you to recognize your need and call on his name. And that's every day of our lives. No matter what you're trying to overcome, recognize your need and call on his name. The law is good. We should turn to God for what is right and what is wrong. But if you think you're going to do it in your own strength, uh, that's pride. You'll fall short. I I see his standard. I realize that I cannot attain it. And from that place of my need, I say, God, will you guide me? Will you strengthen me? Will you empower me? Will you cause me to live differently than I do? We should recognize our need and call on his name. He says, and each person will not teach his fellow citizen and each his brother or sister saying, no, the Lord. That's a big phrase right there. No, the Lord, because they will all, they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. If the only place that we can go is the hands of God for the power to change, we need to know him. And in the Old Covenant, there was a group of people, religious people, that their job was to lead the people to know God, to experience relationship with Him. 
The new covenant rolls along, and God promises that within that new covenant, you do not need anyone between you and God. You can go directly to God through his son, Jesus Christ. He has become the anchor within God's sanctuary through which you are always in God's presence. Not only that, during this life, his spirit indwells you, and you have become the temple of God. In the Old Testament, there were two places. You had the tabernacle, which before there was a temple, that was like the mobile kind of hot spot for where God was. They could set up the tabernacle in different spots. And through that, they would get to know God. There was the outer court, and different people were able to go into there. But if you wanted to go into the holy place, you had to be one of the priests. If you wanted to go into the holy of holies, you had to be the high priest. And there was a lot of sacrifice that had to take place before you would ever go there. So knowing God was filled with all of these reminders of our shortcomings. The new covenant rolls along and it says anyone in Christ Jesus who has recognized their need and called upon his name for salvation, you know God. You, not, not, not know him in your head. You know him in your experience. And you can share that experience with others. So the ministry of the law, it brought a select few close to God. The ministry of grace and truth through Jesus brings anyone and everyone who knows their need and calls on his name to the knowledge of the holy. This is what humanity has been waiting for. This is what you've been waiting for. You've been waiting for the opportunity to be close to God and transformed by his hand. You have. You've expressed it in different ways in your life. You've expressed it by numbing yourself from it. You find some drug or alcohol or something. You find something that numbs you from the fact that you know you're not complete. Or maybe you, you've been striving really hard and not attaining who you know you should be. This is what you've been looking for. You've been looking for the understanding that you have a need, that if you call on Jesus' name, the hand of God and the knowledge of the holy will transform you from the inside out. This is what you've been waiting for. This is what we've been waiting for. That the image of God in each and every one of us would come to experience the spark of his life. This is the new covenant. He says, for I will, I will forgive their wrongdoing, forgive their wrongdoing, and never again remember their sins. That word wrongdoing is iniquity. The idea is something that's bent or twisted. That at the very core of who we are, our heart and our desires are bent and twisted. And the bend is this. The bend is that we think we can do it without God. The bend is that we believe that we could be okay without him. And that was the original lie within the Garden of Eden, that we could determine good and evil for ourselves and we'd be okay without him. And that's the word, what the word iniquity has to do with, our bent and twisted hearts. Here's another truth of the New Testament in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, God says through Ezekiel that he's going to remove our old heart and give us a new one. He's going to pull out, not this thing that pumps blood, but the seat of my desires... And he's going to give me a new seat of desires. He's going to cause me to want what he wants. 
Now, I still live in this flesh, and this flesh will desire sin, but I know that if I truly recognize who God has made me, and I think about what he's done for me, and that I've been buried with Christ, and I've been raised with Christ, and I'm no longer who I once was, but I'm a new person in Jesus Christ, and I'm taking off the old self, I'm putting on the new self. I recognize the truth of the gospel and what it's done for me. I know it. And then I add it up. Well, if that's true of me, why would I give in to the desires of my flesh and sin? There's no life there. Why would I do that? So since I've, I know it and I've added it up, I'm going to yield my body, the members of my body, as instruments of righteousness to the Holy Spirit so that I can live a life that pleases God. He's changing my desires. My flesh desires sin. But the new person that I am in Jesus Christ desires righteousness. My flesh desires to be used as members of unrighteousness. But my new body, my my new person in Jesus Christ, I await a new body, my new person in Jesus Christ, it desires to be used as members of righteousness. And so I know it, I add it up, and I yield myself to him. And every time you do that, every time you do that, your heart is being changed. The seed of your desires is growing to match his. And here's the thing, is even if you fail, you have a misdeed, you give in to your flesh, and you act out the sin, it's forgiven, you confess it, and he will never again remember it. That word is like, if you were in a court, and he had the evidence to testify against you, he wouldn't. Because the evidence to testify against you was paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. So you're free from it. He will never again remember your misdeeds. God's forgiveness in Christ covers our twisted hearts by giving us a new one, that's Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, and never again brings up our misdeeds. Do you believe in this kind of forgiveness? Do you believe it's yours in Christ Jesus? It is. It is. No matter what you've done, no matter how twisted your past has been, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has taken care of it, and his life in you, once you believe, will transform you into a person you could never even dream of on your own. Because he'll make you into his own image. That's unbelievable forgiveness. That's grace and truth. By saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first is obsolete. And what is obsolete? is growing old and about to pass away. That, that word pass away, you'll see it in English in different places in your Bible, but the Greek word is only used here in this passage and it means vanish. Um, and it's a prophetic statement about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Uh, we know that the book of Hebrews was written before 70 AD. And at that point in time, the Mosaic law and the sacrificial system still existed. The sacrifices were still happening in the temple in Jerusalem. And so what he's saying is that the old covenant, the first one, is obsolete and it's about to vanish. I don't know if he knew how. 
if the writer of Hebrews understood how, but through the Holy Spirit, it's made clear to the people who are trying to go back to the Mosaic law in the first century that to do so would be foolish, and furthermore, God is going to eliminate it. When the Romans sacked Jerusalem in 70 AD, they destroyed the temple, and the, the means through which the Mosaic covenant could be practiced has not existed since. It vanished. It has been done away with, obsolete. And so this is what's being told to us here is why would you go back to these rule-based systems? Why would you do that? It's obsolete. It's passed away. It never had the power to change you in the first place. It only had the power to reveal your sin. Well, the problem once your sin is revealed is how do you get forgiven from it? Well, in the Old Testament, you'd have an animal sacrifice on your behalf, but that's been done away with. And the reason why is because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, so did the sacrificial system. Because it only pointed to him in the first place, to the Messiah who would stretch out his life on your behalf and give it for you, that would spill his blood for you to be forgiven, and then by the power of God, three days later, be vindicated as the Messiah and God in flesh through his resurrection. And that's the gospel. And if you believe it, you recognize your need, and you call upon the name of Jesus Christ, salvation is yours. You will be made right with God. You'll be transformed through the Holy Spirit living inside of you as, as your decades go by, and you will be given an eternity that you could never even imagine based upon what Christ has gone to prepare for us. That's the gospel. And he wants you to trust him. That's the one rule, the one way is you recognize your need and you call upon the name of Jesus. That's the new covenant. And so we can learn from God's law, but we can never find life in self-effort to keep it. Law can show you what's right and what's wrong, but only grace and truth given to us in Jesus Christ bring life and transformation. That's the new covenant. That's the new relationship that God has for you and I. Are you living it? Do you know it? Let me pray with you. Father, this morning I pray that each and every one of us would recognize our need. That in order for us to be made right with you, we needed someone to take away our sin. And you've made it very clear that that's not us. I, I cannot remove my sin from myself. Uh, I, I need the life and the death of your son Jesus on my behalf to forgive me and cleanse me of all sin, to wash it away once and for all so that it could never be brought up again. And that's the promise that you've made. You're going to do that. You've done that. So God, for those who have not trusted in you, that have not seen their need and called upon the name of Jesus, I pray today is their day of salvation. For those of us who have, will we remember the blessings of the new covenant, that your spirit indwells us, that our hearts are being made new, that our identity is not in who we were, but it's in your son, that every sin has been forgiven and forgotten, that your laws are being written on our hearts and on our minds so that we would desire what you desire. And God, that through your son Jesus, we have direct access to you.
you are with us here now. It is a wonderful day, each and every day, that we see our need and call upon your name. We thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.